You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions, and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Marcus Allen, president and CEO of Big Brothers Big Sisters Independence. And Big Brothers Big Sisters is a one-on-one mentoring organization that works with children at risk. Marcus, thank you so much for joining us today. Dr. Laura, thank you for having me. Now, you've got an interesting background. You know, we all started someplace that was perhaps a little bit different from our current career track. I mean, a million years ago, I started out as a public school teacher in South Central Los Angeles. Who would have guessed I'd be doing what I'm doing today? You started out as a pro ball player, correct? For basketball. Well, I wouldn't say I started out, but that was one of the stops Career-wise, the career-wise. Yeah. career-wise. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So I ended up going to Stockholm, Sweden, played there for two years, played two years in Finland, played a year in Israel, and then got a chance to take a, do a year in Argentina. So about seven years of playing professionally overseas. That's awesome. And I love the fact that one of the perks, for me at least, of getting to do all these interviews on Zoom is that this, for those of you who are listening through iTunes or otherwise just the audio only, you can go and check out the video recording of this interview, which is on my YouTube channel. And you will see that this is the only way in the entire world where Marcus and I will look like we're about the same height. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, I'm like somewhere, I don't even know, like I'm going to say mid-torso and I'm just going (laughs) to... How tall are you, Dr. How tall am I not? Yeah, I think uh, about <laughs> a day without heels or, or so. So, you know, good things come in small packages. Absolutely. Always told. But uh, I, I love the fact that based on technically where our cameras are, I think I'm actually an inch taller than you are. So I'm going to... Oh. I'm going to run with right. that. That's impressive. That's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> you had to really search for that one, but that's impressive. I will take it anywhere I can get it. So, now... All right. So from there, let's go into your transition into the world of Big Brothers, Big Sisters. And in talking about your role as president and CEO, what are your main job responsibilities now? And who do you need to influence? So if I could just take one step back. And because of, I think, my background in terms of, you know, how I was raised influenced how I communicate and how I lead. Right. And so... I was born in abject poverty. My mom and family, we were, you know, had chronic episodes of homelessness. So a lot of crime and drugs and all of that stuff that you would see in a community that has those types of obstacles. And so that really cemented how I saw the world, right? I saw the world as, you know, how can we live in an environment where people like me don't have access, don't have opportunity, and then not having the word at the time, but seeing how racism played out in my community. And so then, you know, I got the opportunity because I grew to be six, seven and I worked hard and all of that stuff and a lot of luck and preparation, met each other. I got a chance to play pro ball and travel the world. So then when I came back from that experience, I wanted to take all of that and give it back to people and specifically kids. And so I got this opportunity back in 2013 to become president and CEO of Big Brothers Big Sisters. And understanding that 
in order for me to help these young kids and our mission at Big Girls Big Sisters to create and support one-to-one mentoring relationships that ignite the power and promise of the youth, I knew that we were going to need a whole host of people and entities to do that. And so my job in terms of influencing, I have to influence one of my employees, right? Because we have about 100 employees, like really helping them to stay focused on what's our five-year plan, our three-year plan, our one-year picture, Like, what are the things that we have to focus on to make sure we can be the best we can for the families that we serve? And then my board members who are like governing board members who have fiduciary responsibility for the organization to ensure that the CEO is stewarding and cultivating the resources that come to this organization to deliver on our mission to help kids and families. Also, the community, you have to have the trust of the community. So it's important that I influence and I communicate effectively to the community to reassure them that we are doing what we're supposed to do with these coveted resources. And then also policymakers, right? Whether you're talking local, state, or federal, they're making laws all the time. And if 2020 didn't teach us anything, we know that there are systemic issues that we have to address in this country to ensure that those less fortunate that we are serving and so many others are serving, that those policies actually make sense for them. And then lastly, National Big Brothers Big Sisters, which is another policymaker, even though we are our own separate organization here, they still make certain policies that I want to influence. So I chair the National Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee for the national office. And so really, how do we make sure that because we serve mostly black and brown kids and many of our staff are diverse staff, so how do we make sure we're making policies that help to create a welcoming environment for everyone and also that addresses those things that continue to hold people back. Yeah, it's amazing. The the range and of course the service that you provide is is so important for so many. In doing that, what is the biggest communication challenge that you and Big Brothers Big Sisters is facing today? So I think probably most people would say the same thing, like having to to navigate this new environment of of doing everything virtually, right? Because I am a people-oriented person. And I love energy and I, and I feed off of energy. And so in the virtual environment, Zoom is awesome, but you can't bring all of yourself into a conversation in Zoom, right? One example, I, I remember when I was really trying to focus on how to be a really good leader. And one of the people I looked at, you know, don't hold this against me because the context is important, was Bill Clinton, <laughs> right? And so, and at the time, Bill Clinton was known as a person who, when he enters a room, he's captivating. And I forget the reporter who interviewed him one time said that he had, you know, he was so excited from the Washington Post that he was going down to interview President Bill Clinton. And he was in the White House or, or in the West Wing interviewing Bill Clinton. And he just remembered, oh my God, like everything he's saying is so amazing. It's awesome. And he's so captivated by Bill Clinton, uh, Woodruff, Bob Woodruff. And so, and then he gets back to his home office in New York and he's listening to the recording because he wants to make sure he, you know, writes this article up accurately and appropriately. And he says he's listening to the recording and he's just like, oh, my God, that was the most ordinary interview ever. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so but because now he's listening to the tape and he doesn't get all of Bill Clinton, he's only getting the words. Right. And so what we are the challenges we're facing right now is that we're trying to communicate with staff and our kids who are going through amazing, amazingly big and broad issues and challenges and problems. And we're only able to give a small percentage of who we really are through this virtual means. It's valuable. I think it helps. 
but it does not allow us to have the sort of impact that we want to have. And so sure. that's one of the major challenges for us during this time in terms of communication. But there's also silver linings there because it's forcing us to look at how we do business. Right now, we know that we may not need as much real estate as we had in the past. Like our employees can work effectively from home. They don't necessarily need to have to come in the office every day. So it's forced us to look at being more effective and efficient in different ways that I think we're going to continue to utilize going forward. Do you find that with the mentorship part, we know that the pandemic has affected, there's great discrepancies in the amount of effect it's had on children with fewer resources, right? Whether it's about bandwidth at home and Wi-Fi or the technology available, even though schools are supposed to be giving them some of the tech, at least they need. Are you having trouble, are mentors having trouble connecting with their littles, as I believe they're called, the little sisters, little brothers, um, because of all this? Are they able to connect with them? Yes, they're able to connect with them, but they are having challenges, right? I have a little myself. And I know for a fact that before the pandemic, he and I had a really strong relationship. We were hanging out every other weekend. We would go play basketball, go to the movies and things of that nature. Since the pandemic hit and we've had to go virtual, he and I don't talk as much, right? Sure. I'll text his grandmother and say, hey, how's Nasir? I I hit him up the other day. He didn't hit me back. And she said, I'm going to get on him. I said, no, 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 don't get him. I understand it. Like, let him, because I know... Young people are going through some of the most challenging times of their entire life. We know that depression is at an all-time high for our teenagers, if not everyone Mm -hmm. else. We know that people are feeling this sense of loneliness. They're feeling very unsteady about what their future holds, right? Like you think about my daughter who was a senior last year when the pandemic hit. So she didn't get a chance to experience prom, didn't get a chance to experience her senior year of high school. So our kids are not experiencing everything that you and I experienced at their age. Right. And so our, our bigs who are working with our littles are reaching out to us to try to, for us to help them navigate through this process. Because families are even saying, hey, I don't care about the pandemic. I want my big to come see my little. Right. As the president and CEO, I'm just like, well, I can't take that risk. I can't risk. We're serving over 3,000 kids. One of the 3,000 bigs who goes to one of the 3,000 littles may have COVID. And that coronavirus gets transferred to the child then gets transferred to a grandmother who has a bad outcome. Right. 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 And so so many risks. Yeah, so many risks. But at the same time, these families, they want their bigs to, because those bigs provide that sense of comfort and access and opportunity for our littles. So we're excited that hopefully we're coming to the end of this having to, I call it physical distance. I don't say social distance because social distance implies that you can't even be social with people. And I talk to our bigs about having a virtual embrace. So, and I tell our staff, do not use the term social distance. We call it physical distancing. Yeah. If anything, the social needs to be even closer. Even more. Even tighter. Absolutely. Then in all of this, and in, in, of course, the adjustments, not just to the pandemic and whatever else, but in now you've had a, a number of career opportunities along the way between basketball and CEO, but in that transition, in that process, what's a communication related mistake that you made or a lesson that you had to learn the hard way? And if you go back and have a do-over, look, we all played games on the playground, do-overs were a, that was a common phrase, if nothing else. So what's a do-over that you either got or wish you had? Maybe during the pandemic, I, I can't recall any do-overs I would want to have from a, a communication standpoint. However, prior to the pandemic, you know, one of the things I talked about earlier was me being the chair of the Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Committee. And and I, I am just a staunch supporter and advocate ambassador for how do we create 
environments where everyone feels safe, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone feels that it's okay for them to bring their authentic selves to the table. And so that being said, there was a, we, we had an issue with the building one time and there was a flood and everyone had to clear out of the building. And I remember trying to make sure all the staff were out of the building and I, and I yelled down the hallway to a group of females and I said, Hey ladies, be safe, get out of this building as soon as you can, because I don't want anyone to you know, get caught here overnight. And a week later, I, I did get an email from HR saying that one of the staff felt disrespected by me because this staff person, they were going through a transition from being female to male. Mm. And I called her in, in all of that, you know, the chaos, I called her a lady, mm. which she was very intentional to speak with HR, to make sure that everyone around her, them knew that they were transitioning to be male. Mm. And so that was offensive to her. I'm sorry. That was offensive to him. And so, and as you can tell, I still make the mistake, right? And so my do-over would be that as we're going through our transition as an organization, and as we are becoming an even more affirming LGBTQ organization, that anytime I've made that mistake, I could take that back. Sure. Um, because I can't imagine if someone called me something that I've worked hard not to be called that. You know, mm. of course, you know, the N-word and all of that stuff. But also, I, don't, I wouldn't want anyone calling me a female when I'm a male, right? Sure. Or, or anything else. Like, there are certain things I want to be called, so call me that. And I want to make sure that I do that for other people. So let me ask this. Were you able to follow up with that person afterward and just and sort of close the loop on that conversation? Oh, absolutely. I had a conversation with him. Well, first I sat down with him and said, you know, please share with me how I made you feel and what can I do to make sure that that doesn't happen again. Right. And so I wanted to make sure that I was listening and that they felt that I was authentic and that they could trust that I was working hard never to make that mistake ever again. And I believe it led to not only that person and I having a better relationship, but there are other stories where people in the LGBT community really spoke out and said they could see how much I had changed over the last five years as it mm-hmm. relates to understanding what they're going through and changing our organization in a way that supported who they are and how they wanted to show up for work. It's so difficult to be able to em- embrace those conversations, right? To be able to initiate them regardless of which side you're on, the one who feels affronted or the one who has to acknowledge having affronted intentionally or otherwise, but just the courage it takes to initiate much less and of course participate in those conversations and, uh, you know, to be able to to apologize where affront was or where insult or hurt was caused, but also hopefully to have the other person recognize where there was not intention. So it sounds like that was an accident. You know, a group of people, you're not sort of head counting who was, I don't know how far down the down the hall they were, how far, you know, if you could see them from the front of the back. There's lots right. of reasons when mistakes could be made completely obliviously or certainly without the intention. And I think when there's the empathy on both sides, I recognize that you didn't mean to, but it still hurt. Yes. And of course, sorry, would never intend to hurt you. I'm sorry that I did. There's some of the hardest combinations of resolutions to achieve. As a leader, you learn very quickly that intention means nothing if the impact isn't consistent with the intention. Mm, And so I now focus on impact and also focus on making sure I take responsibility for my communication 
of course, communication goes both ways. Yep. But I want to make sure that I take responsibility for how I communicate and, and taking responsibility for how I communicate, asking people how best can I communicate to them yes. and asking for feedback after communication, right, which is so important. I'm learning each and every day as I spend more time with different staff people, different people in general, how some people need to be communicated to versus others. And a lot of it has to do with culture, experience, where people grew up, how they grew up, all sorts of things come into play. And, you know, from a basic standpoint, you think it's really about education and it really isn't. Education is the smallest piece of it, right? It is really understanding Communication is about understanding who your audience is. And and once you have a you can you can understand the person or the people you're talking to, then you can better communicate with them. Sure. And that sure. comes from listening and asking questions. Absolutely. And it sounds like you got the opportunity for the do over there, which was critical. And I think it's also important you mentioned something really important, which is that the difference between a singular instance of something versus the overtime pattern. And it's one thing to make a mistake once and to apologize and to acknowledge no ill will or intention. But when it repeats over and over, the intention sort of becomes irrelevant after a while. There's the accident, there's the coincidence, and then there's the pattern after. And when patterns don't change, you know, it's the impact becomes that much stronger, I think. Am I off on this? Nope. You're right on it. And (laughs) what was interesting when you were the leader, uh, one of my staff persons said, you are the leader, Marcus, you're not a leader. Hmm. He's a VP. He said, Marcus, I'm a leader, but you are the leader, right? Yeah. And so when you are the leader, at least my perspective is you no longer see yourself at the top of the pyramid. Hmm. You see yourself at the bottom of the pyramid, holding up the pyramid Hmm. from the bottom up. And so that means that I have to know every person in my organization, what they need, what they desire, like how to help them achieve where they're trying to go, right? If I see myself at the top, then I don't care as much about who's in the organization. It's about they care about me. We got to serve the leader. And I think that's the wrong approach as a leader. I think the approach is I am serving you. And I tell them all the time, I don't have authority. I have responsibility, Mm. right? Particularly in a nonprofit space, because this is not in the for-profit space. It's more linear. Right. You you have a goal. We got to, you know, increase shareholders value. We got to make sure we have a profit. We have to make sure that we are building succession plans and all that other stuff. And the nonprofit world, it is you lead by it's a democracy. Right. And of course, I'm the president and CEO. However, we take public dollars, we take private dollars. And so I have to be accountable and responsible and a responsible steward of these resources. And I need the trust of staff. I need the trust of board. I need the trust of stakeholders. So communication and authenticity in that communication is doubly more important on this side of things, I believe, than even on the for-profit side. Well, I think one other factor involved there, and I suppose there are for-profits that engage this element as well, but I think much more so in organizations like yours, the volunteer cohort involved that when you're running an organization, not just of on a nonprofit structure of sorts, but how many volunteers do you have uh, for just the independence chapter alone? How many bigs or big brothers, big sisters? Over 3,000. Okay. So they're all volunteers. 
they're all, they could walk away tomorrow. There's nothing legally obligating them to stay, or there's nothing where they're going to lose their job or lose their, you know, this is strictly a passion. They do it for the love of the mission. Am I, am I accurate in, in describing yeah, absolutely. them? Yes, yeah, you so are. if you got to really, there's less opportunity to make those kinds of mistakes with them because they can just walk away. There's nothing tying them there. So it's, I think you've got an even greater challenge on that front when there's what, three, 30 times more volunteers than actual employees. Correct. Did I get those numbers right? I'm not a numbers person. I think I got those numbers right. You got, you got them right. You, look, yeah. you did a good, you get an A for effort I got an on that A for math. For math, <laughs> yes, math arithmetic. Excellent. But I mean, that's amazing to have 30 times the number of volunteers as you have employees. Think about what it takes to run that. Everybody out there, think about what it takes to connect and keep them engaged, especially also with all of this COVID fun. So Marcus, this is going to bring us to the, actually the next big goal for you or for Big brothers, big sisters, what's the next big goal for you and what communication skills do you think you'll need to strengthen in order to achieve it? So I would say our next big goal for us is, and the pandemic kind of underscored this direction, is how do we go bigger with our families and our communities? Uh, you know, as I told you, our mission is to is one-to-one mentoring to help you know, ignite the promise and power of our youth, right? And so someone reading that literally is like, okay, the only thing you guys do is focus on kids, right? And that's where your your efforts go. But what the research tells us is that kids have better outcomes when you walk with that kid circumspect, where you're making sure that, well, in order for the kid to be successful, they need to be in a strong family unit. In order for the family to be successful, they need to be in a community that is helping to harness and foster that potential. And so the pandemic has made me even focus even more on how can we as an organization better support our families, the parents, the guardians, in addition to the bigs working with the littles. And the belief that by doing that, that whole village mentality, those children will be better. Mm. Right. And how do we do that in a way that we're responsible for the the resources that come into the organization and we use those resources in the right way to execute on doing this bigger thing with the families. And so we began to have those conversations with our board and with our leadership team. Um, I've even began to have that conversation with our national office. We just started during the pandemic, these things called parent roundtables, where Mm -hmm. we would invite the parents in and we are having conversations about, well, tell us about how you feel about our program. Are we as effective as we can be? Do you have suggestions for us? Like, what are we not doing well? What should we start? What should we stop? What should we keep doing? And that really was a precipice for us having going bigger with the families. Right. And and involving them in how we're going to address these issues. There's a saying that says nothing for us without us. Right. Mm -hmm. Meaning, well, how are you going to help us if you're doing it without our input? Yes. So our next big goal is to listen deeper and to go deeper and not have any sacred cows on the table. Right. Like we need to do what we need to do. We've been around 100 years. Our issues today are not 100 year old issues. Our issues today take 21st century thinking. And so how do we need to change in order to make sure that we are there for the kids and families and communities we serve? From there, Marcus, 
This is your opportunity to invite our listeners to be challenged in a whole different way. It's time for our listener 24-hour influence challenge. So this is a chance for you to speak directly to the listeners and challenge them to take one step that they can complete within 24 hours to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today? So I would think most of your listeners, Laura, from what I can tell, are educated or goal-driven are, you know, successful at whatever place they are in their lives right now and, and are looking for more success. And one of the things that I would challenge you to do is something I heard Steve Harvey state last year, which I thought was amazing. And I started, or two years ago, and I started doing it. And it was write down 300 things you want to accomplish in your life, right? Mm-hmm. And you can always revisit these because it will continue to change. Life continues to constantly change. We are constantly growing and changing how we, our outlook and the, the environment around us is constantly changing. But what I did was I made it into category. So I had like career, I had finance, I had family, I had fitness, I had fun, and I had two or three other categories. And I was trying to do like 75 or 50 in each of those categories to try to get to 300. I probably got to like 220. Um, That's still a pretty good number. I don't think that's slacking, frankly. (laughs) It's hard. It's hard to get there. Trust me. And and a year and a half later, I started to look at this list maybe three months ago, two months ago. And I had checked off some things that I didn't even know I had done, but I had wrote it down. Mm. And so me revisiting, continuing to revisit that list challenges me because I'm just like, oh, I wrote that down two years ago and I'm almost there. And and write down stuff that even if you know there's 80% chance you won't accomplish it, write it down anyway, right? And if you can write that and you get to 200, 300 things that you want to accomplish in your lifetime, and 20 years from now, if you can take off 10% of those things, you've had a fulfilled life. And so, mm-hmm. and, and that's what it really is about, right? At the end of the day, we want to leave a legacy. We want to feel fulfilled in this time we spend on this earth. So for me, my challenge to everyone would be try to write down those 300 things that you want to accomplish. All right. You all have your marching orders. And I like the idea. To me, that sounds like you're almost giving yourself a menu because we can just sit there and think, I don't know what I want to do, you know, in the next 20, 40, 60 years. So who knows what opportunities there are, but to be conscious about thinking what they might be, right? It's not a plan and you don't have to complete all of them, but just to start to think about the number of opportunities that are out there and then to be able to go back and check them off. It helps you keep track in that sort of attitude of gratitude and, and, mindfulness piece, just to realize how much you did actually accomplish, where if you didn't have the list to check off, you may not even realize that you had achieved so much. Does that sound about like what's happening? Absolutely. And also, here's the thing, like when you're doing that list, think big. And so most of us, if not all of us, can't overachieve our imagination, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and our imagination can grow. And so the more we write down these big ideas and big plans, and the more, like part of mine was, I want to be around certain types of people. Because I know certain types of people think bigger than me. And so I want to make my imagination as big as I can. You can't overachieve your imagination. So if you think small, you are going to do small. Yes. If you think big, you're going to do big. Now, that also includes you're going to succeed big and you're going to fail big. And that's where sports comes in for me because sports taught me that every day you're going to fail. Michael Jordan said, every shot you don't take, you miss. Mm -hmm. And so in basketball, you're a good shooter if you can get to 48, 49%, making 48, 49% of your shots. Yeah. All your shots. So that means 
half of your shots you're going to miss. So imagine if you don't put these plans and these ideas of things you want to accomplish out there, then you're not going to have a shot at getting them. And sure. you're just going to go through life and you're going to end up wherever you end up without you having really any real input into that. Right. So I like to feel that I got some input in my life. And so I have grown to be comfortable with failure. Right. I'm fine with failing. I am not fine with not getting up, not starting over again and trying something different. And so I think, you know, part of, you know, I know you didn't ask me this, but part of what I would add on to that would be, do not be afraid to fail. Because if you're afraid to fail, then you're going to be afraid to try big, right? You're just going to try mediocre. A friend of mine said, uh, I'm not afraid, and I forget where he got this quote from, I'm not afraid to dream big and fail. I'm afraid to dream small and hit it, right? Hmm. Because now I'm going to get comfortable being small. And I can hit these little things, and I'm good. I'm comfortable in my life. Rather than aiming for the stars, and if I miss, at least I'll be somewhere what, in the moon or the sky, right, what have right, you. Right, right, right. So for me, it's, I love opportunities to fail. If you tell me something's really big, I was like, okay, let's do that. <laughs> right? Right. Yeah, the uh, aiming for the little pieces just because it's the low-hanging fruit and the easy win. A friend of mine used to refer to that as having an unchallenged campaign of mediocrity. Oh, I love that. I, I'm going to have to have you send me that one. I'm going to use that one. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody else, that's the, you don't want to just rest on with a comfortable, unchallenged campaign of mediocrity. So just, Absolutely. you know, coast by and you won't make mistakes, nope. but you won't get much of anywhere either. So nope. plot along. All right. And you, and you can't be a leader that way. I don't think you can be a great leader that way. Right? Uh, yeah. Well, right. they probably wouldn't aspire to it anyway. So. Right. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> So tell me a little bit about the people that you want to have as part of your organization, both, uh, you know, as your volunteers, but also in particular as your employees, uh, you know, the one thirtieth of the people that you are overseeing at that point. When you're looking to hire someone or to onboard, depending on the role, especially for a leadership opportunity, what are the communication skills that you look for? And what's a red flag that could be a derailer? I'm always looking for leaders. Right. Uh, what does that look like to you? What does that mean? How do you know right. it when you see it? So leaders to me are people who are one confident, right? Mm -hmm. Because you can't be a leader if you're not confident because there ain't nobody going to follow you. Right. <laughs> so, so first of all, a leader is someone who other people want to follow. Right. Sure. And so in order to make people want to follow you, you have to have certain characteristics. So I think confidence is certainly one of them. Substance, right? Do you have substance, meaning do you come with some breadth of experience? Do you have something to share in terms of knowledge and skills, right? And then three is depth, right? And depth is just as important as the first two because depth speaks to this idea that you can see different perspectives all at the same time, right? And so when you can do that, then that tells me your choices and your decisions that you make are going to be better informed, right? Yes. Nobody will make decisions and have all the information. Never has that been done where you have all the information. My pastor used to say, never get caught up in the decision you make in the moment, because sometimes it takes 5, 10, 20 years before you see all the data that you really would have loved to have, but you didn't have it, right? And so when you have depth, though, it gives you an advantage that other people, not all people have. 
Yes. And then what would be a red flag on the flip side where they could have all that kind of stuff, but then there's something in the way that they communicate that makes you go, oh, nope, sorry, reject. Yeah, yeah. You can be overconfident. That's one that I, I just, you know, when I see it, I'm just like, okay, that's not going to work because it's not going to fit into the culture, right? Yeah. And then in most environments, probably besides Nike, uh, where I heard uh, Nike eats their young, uh, they have the thing, <laughs> we eat our young. You know, most environments, you want someone who can be a team player who does not always have to be the all-star. Yes. Right. Yeah, definitely. Especially if you're going to be mentoring children at that point and leading by example, one would hope that telling them just to take over and run everybody over is probably not the best way to lead by example. Absolutely. And I actually, one one last thing real quick. I was just interviewing some people for a pretty important position here and we narrowed it down to three people. Right. And all three were really good. There was one person that I was like, oh, he would be amazing, right? He would be great with the board. He would be like, he he's technically sound. But just the way he talked, I was just like, it's not going to work, right? He was probably, from a skill perspective, the best of all three. But from a culture fit perspective mm. and leadership perspective, I could see where he was going to have a lot of challenges. And I don't know that we could coach that out of him. And so we passed on him. And so because he was just talking too much about himself, that was the, the culture just, that didn't not fit. just too much about himself. But, you know, I was listening. Maybe he was going to say that he was the first person to do a heart transplant surgery <laughs> or something. Like He was just so big on himself, like just overconfident. Everything was just it was just way too much. Yeah. Yeah. That does not sound like a good fit for uh, an organization that's about generosity of heart and humility and working with children. And, and yeah. Yeah. But I think that guy wore that flag nice and clear and did you a favor, sounds like. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> so then very quickly, we're going to jump into the speed round. And I'm going to ask you to pick a couple of A and B choices. Let us know where you stand in a short answer. And then we'll give you a chance to qualify briefly after that. First, public speaking. Love it or hate it? Love it. I think I could tell that. Give one tip for managing nerves and speaking with confidence, even when you don't feel it, because not everybody does. Yeah, for me, I think about what success looks like once I'm done and how great I'm going to feel. And there's going to be someone in the audience that I could change their life. Right. Mm. And so it, it makes me want to inspire, want to motivate. And then I go into that speech with a smile in my head, making sure that, you know, I'm smiling so much is is on the brink of laughter. You know, mm. yeah. I love it. Think about yeah. the audience and whose life you could change through this. And finally, conflict. Everybody has to deal with it. Nobody likes it. But when you are faced with potential conflict or a difficult conversation, is your natural DNA hardwiring to want to avoid it or to dive right in? Honestly, it would be to avoid it. My mm. natural instinct, yep. but I never do. We can't, of course, as leaders. So right. then the follow-up from there is, what have you learned about navigating that hardwiring, that pre-programming that says avoid, avoid, run away in order to more effectively manage conflict? What I've learned is that when you avoid conflict or you avoid bad situations that need some sort of intervention, it makes it worse in the long run. Mm -hmm. And so I remember one time I had a staff, uh, one of my other jobs, and I had to fire my entire leadership team and looking back on it in the same day. Right. Ouch. And it was one of the most heart wrenching days of my career. And what I gleaned from that was there were a number of issues that happened over the months leading up to that that I didn't deal with it. Mm. There are things that I should have dealt with, no matter how uncomfortable I should have dealt with them and I should have dealt with them straight 
and as soon as they happen. And I didn't. And so it ended up culminating in having to let four people go. Mm, and one of, the things, one of the guys, one of the board members, he said, Marcus, in the history of the world, I've never seen the wrong person fired too fast. And yeah. so you need to take that with you. And that was a lesson that I learned in terms of conflict. When there are situations that you have to deal with, deal with them quickly, deal with them head on, do not mince words, right? And address it and then move on. I think it was Steve Jobs who said, hire slow, fire fast, or am I attributing yep. that to the wrong jobs? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Oh, goodness. Well, Marcus, this has been a fabulous conversation. I hope everybody goes in and checks out the organization. So let me ask you, how can they do that? How can people learn more about you and Big Brothers Big Sisters? So they can either follow us on social media, on Facebook, uh, Independence Bigs. They can go to our website, www.independencebigs.org. I think those are the two best ways to find out what we're doing. And we're always looking for people who want to volunteer to help us be bigs in our program. So can you give a little bit more? I'm going to give you a chance to plug here. Who's the ideal person? What qualities do they have to be a big, to be a big brother or a big sister to a child in in need or at risk? So I, I think the ideal person, first of all, it's not about age. It's not about gender. It's not about sexual orientation. It is really about do you have a genuine compassion for kids who need someone to help them navigate through some of the challenges of life? Like our kids, they don't need another parent. They don't need, you know, another authority figure in their life. They need someone who's willing to be a friend. And Mm -hmm. if you know that you are a good friend, you can be authentic and you're looking for a new experience, right? Then this is an organization where you can park some of those resources. Awesome. So um, we'll put the website and the social media handles in the show notes. So everybody, please make sure to take a look there and do reach out to Marcus or to Big Brothers, Big Sisters in general and help another child in need. So thank you again, uh, Marcus, for joining us today. Thank you, everybody else, for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my quick start guide to mastering the three Cs, command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.